I had the privilege of growing up in a very godly home. Um, a little bit of back, a little bit about my background. When my mom married my dad, in the first few days of their marriage, she was taken back because my dad has a tendency and a habit to pray. When he prays, he prays out loud. When he's in his private prayers, he prays out loud. And so first few days that my mom was married to my dad, they'd be sitting around in the living room, and next thing you know, dad's on his knees praying, and out loud, and my mom would be walking through the living room, and here he is, is praying, and she would just stop and freeze and bow her head, waiting for him to finish, but he would never finish. <laughs> and then the next day, he would do that again, and by the third day, she decided, if I'm going to get laundry done, and if I'm going to get food on the table, I need to get on my business, you know. And he was just in his private prayers. Well, that's the nature of my dad, and my mom's a godly woman as well. And so I grew up, many of the times, waking up in the middle of the night, needing a glass of water or getting something to drink or going to the restroom. And 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, random times, I would wake up and go through the living room and find my dad on his knees. And then you would hear him pray, because that's the way he prayed. He always prays out loud. And so as you walked to the bathroom or to the kitchen, you hear him praying for the each of us by name, pouring out his heart for our salvation and for the church and the various needs that he had. I grew up in that environment. We'd have family devotions. It was a mini church service every night. And both of my older brothers made professions of faith. Turned out those professions weren't genuine. In the they were converted now. But at the time, they made professions of faith. And I knew from the earliest time that I could remember, I wanted to be a Christian. I, it's not like I ever thought God did not exist, nor Jesus was His Son. I always at least you know, had that historical faith that that's a genuine reality. But I knew that I wasn't saved. And I knew I needed to be saved. And the process of my young childhood was praying constantly, privately, publicly. And every church service, it was when there was opportunity to come to the front to pray or whatever the case was. I was always down there. And I had a, a burden on my heart, just needing to be saved, wanting to be saved, and prayer, and praying, and praying. And I was looking for some, you know, magic experience or something to come over me to give me assurance that my sins were forgiven. But I would always come up out of prayer feeling the same way as I did when I went down into prayer. And finally, it was through the testimony of my grandmother when I was around 12 years old when I was visiting her she had a burden for me and she pulled me aside and, and of course I already knew the gospel but she repeated the gospel to me once again and it was that day I believe the Lord saved me from 12 years old into my high school period I watched my older brothers who had a profession of faith to some degree, prove that they weren't true Christians by the way they begin to live. And seeing that my oldest brother was kicked out of the house for the way he was living, finally he'd come home 
for the second time, or maybe I don't know how many times, but at least in my knowledge, for the second time drunk. And my parents finally told him that he wasn't welcome to live in the house anymore. What seemed harsh on my parents' side, I got to see the back end after my brother left. The grief, the sorrow, the prayers of my family after my brother was kicked out of the house. There was never a moment in my life that I doubted that my parents loved us deeply. And so I had, even as a Christian, I had this desire to please the Lord and not disappoint my parents. Well, the senior year of high school, I met this girl that probably, I, I, in the truest sense, might have been a crush or whatever it may have been. It might have been falling in love, whatever you call it. But I fell for this girl who was a Methodist girl who had a profession of faith. She even started to come to my father's church, attending our church. My parents liked her. Her parents liked me. And I went off to college. I stayed home in Batesville and did my first year of college there. And then at the end of my freshman year in college, she ended the relationship and that the ending of that relationship pretty much crushed me. It, it, it felt like the world was turned upside down for me. And I went to praying, I went to, I went to praying, but even in my prayers and Bible reading, it's like the Lord was not near. And I went into this really, really deep depression. And I know maybe you've, maybe some of you know what depression is like. It's not just having a bad day. It's not just having, you know, things are just sad and you're just gloomy for about a week. It's when you quit eating altogether. Well, you can't eat. You don't even want to eat. And if you try to eat, you throw up. I lost almost all my weight. Um, for six months, I was in this period, and I was just eating just barely just a little bit of soup every now and then. And I could drink Sprite. That's one of the things I could drink. And I remember going through this period, and my mom was praying with me every night. And my dad got to the point he was a little more firm with me than mother. Mother's more gentle and praying with me. And dad's like, snap out of this. You know, this is not the way to be a Christian. You know, we have hope in Christ. And I knew what he was saying was real, but I just didn't have it in my heart. I mean, it's like I wanted to please the Lord. And I would, I mean, I prayed more than ever during this period. And I read the scriptures more than ever. But it was, I was, couldn't eat couldn't hardly sleep, and every day felt like an eternity. I remember in one church service, felt like the whole church service couldn't even pay attention to the message. I felt like it was like this service lasted for eternity. And it was just an hour service or something. Well, I remember going off to college, I moved to Conway and went to the university there. Well, the girl that I liked went to that university as well. And I ran into her and we started talking again. And in the process of talking to her again, she seemed open for the, to talk with me even more. And at that time, I started feeling better. It's like, okay, this is it. This is, this is who I'm supposed to marry. Or this is, this is destiny for me. I can't live, literally can't live without her, I thought. And... Um, 
about six months of talking, reestablishing connections, and she. This was midway through the semester, and then at the end of the semester, she was going back to Batesville. And when she was leaving, and I was going to stay and work there in Conway, when she's leaving, she said, we need to break this. It's over. This is not, you know, we're not, this is not going to work. And immediately, the six months to a year depression that I went to come crashing back down on me. It, it, like in one moment, I didn't, before when she broke it off the first time, I was pleading with her not to. I was trying to win her back. I was trying to give her some space and manipulate the situation to, to get her back. But this time, I wasn't going to even try. And about a week of not eating, I started to have a suicidal, you know, thoughts in my mind. You know, and I work in a field where I deal with people with suicidal ideations. I've had clients that have committed suicide after counseling with them. I know somewhat what's it like dealing with people who kill themselves. And the people that generally go ahead with suicide are the ones that generally don't talk about it. The ones that's always saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to hurt myself, I want to kill myself. Yeah, they might, they're looking for attention and compassion and pity. But generally those who commit suicide, you're talking to them, you see that they're depressed. The next thing you know, they've done something to themselves. Well, that's the way I was. I wasn't vocalizing that I'm thinking about killing myself. I just, and I didn't want to kill myself. And most people who are suicidal are not saying, I really, really like to die. Death is not a good option. But you get to a point and you get so oppressed with despair, you get to the point that death seems like the better option. That you can't continue to live in the shape that you wore. And what was going through my mind was six months, a year of depression, this is the first week, I can't go through it again. I can't endure it another time. It would be the death of me. And so one, it was a Saturday night, my roommates were gone for the weekend. I was in the house alone. I cleaned the whole house. I made my bed. I could put everything in order that I thought needed to be in order. And when I graduated high school, one of the things my dad gave me as a right to manhood was a 9mm pistol. And I had that pistol with me in college, and I took it out, I loaded it, and I laid it next to me. I was sitting on the floor with the gun loaded, the house clean. I cocked it back, and I called my dad. It was around midnight at night. And I called my dad because... All through growing up, I never wanted to disappoint him. I never wanted him to be upset with me. And one of the things that kind of didn't want me to follow through with suicide was disappointing my dad and my mom. And so I called him up. And this is the words I said to my dad. And he already knew that I'm back depressed again. He's already familiar with the situation at this point. And I called him up and I said, Dad... I'm at a point I don't have any more options. And I said, I don't need anything else to do but this. And, and he goes, I understand. Now when he said, I understand, what raced through my mind was a sense of release, relief. He's given me His blessing to follow through with what I'm about to do. 
I can go ahead and do it. He's not going to be, he understands the pain I'm in. He knows that there's really no option than what I'm about to do. That's how delusional I was. That's how depressed I was that I thought my dad was giving me his blessing to kill myself. And when I said there's nothing else for me to do, he goes, I understand. I agree with you. There's not anything else you can do. And then that thought ran through my mouth. And then he said, only thing you can do is do what Jacob did. Only thing you can do at this point is to wrestle with God until you prevail. All of a sudden, hope flooded me. I mean, it's like, because I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. I just didn't want to live in pain. And all of a sudden, I saw hope. And I, I got off the phone with my dad. I said, you're right. I pushed the gun aside and I said, I'm going to pray. I am going to get on my knees. I don't care if it takes... I'm not hungry. I can't sleep. I'll pray until the Lord hears me. And so I got on my knees and I just started praying. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, nothing. I'm just pressing forward. Pressing forward. I'm going to prevail. God's going to hear me. 3 o'clock, God heard me. All of a sudden, I wasn't worried about the woman anymore. All of a sudden, sins that I wasn't aware of started creeping up in my mind. I was like, I was repenting of sins that, that I've accumulated over the years. Idolatry that I'd had. Idolatry of this woman. I was giving it up. I was surrendering my life. I was, in one sense, I was dying once again. And I laid it all up to the Lord. And joy filled my heart at three o'clock. And I said after that, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. (laughs) And I woke up and I ate some Cheerios. And I was hungry. And I was tired. And from that point on, it was just within a week, I felt God's call on me for the ministry. And... Six months later, you know how you have young converts, and, and you know I was a Christian. I'm really convinced I was a Christian through this period, but this doesn't mean that we don't have multiple conversions in our life. And I just remember just being filled with joy, you know, just that joy is like a new Christian has, you know, he just can't help but talk about it everywhere, you know. I'm I'm losing all my friends, you know, and gaining new friends, and I remember six months or maybe a year after that experience, I'm in the shower and I'm like, oh no, the dreaded crash of coming off the new Christian high. And I just remember it being in the shower just saying, Lord, I know you know all Christians go through highs and they go back down lows. And I understand that. But Lord, can you give me another six months? <laughs> and it's like the Lord answered that prayer for me. And it's like for the next six months, I just reading the Scriptures, you know, reading books, and making new Christian friends. And, and since then, it's like, you know, it's Lord has just been gracious to me. His grace has just been there. And, you know, and that's the answer. We all have to die. We all have to die. But there's only life. There is real life when you die and give your life to Christ.